Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. Hi, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Dieter Bohm at High Pass, Vine- uh, High Pass Winery. Uh, it's July 13, 2016. We're in Junction City. And Dieter, our first question for you is why wine? Oh, you, that goes way back. You know, I, I grew up in, in Germany uh, and uh, in a small town in East Germany that was actually communist at the time. My, my parents ran a restaurant and uh, and my father was a a connoisseur of wine. He liked wine, and basically he introduced me or my sister and me to wine. That it was something special. That it was something good. You know, it was, it was something to be savored. And uh, so, at it was not like we had a daily or with dinner or something, but the special occasions. You mm-hmm. know, the big the big. Uh, uh, holiday dinners, there was always good wine on the table, you know. And the restaurant, of course, served wine. Uh, so that's, that's how I got to know, to know wine a little bit. And, uh, and then I, I went to college in Dresden. And uh, Dresden is along, uh, is, is on the Elbe River. And, and it has a small grape growing uh, region. So the, the banks of the river were, you know, spotted with vineyards, and it was real cute. It looked very nice, you know. I, I fell in love with that landscape because it looked so, so cultured. Mm-hmm. There were, in the vineyards, there were little uh, chapels in there, you know, little buildings that were going back hundreds of years, little Baroque little chapel in there, and a really picturesque scene. So. So whenever I had the chance, you know, on weekends and stuff, we went uh, out there, sampled wine, talked to the people. And uh, so that, that, that's how I fell in love with the, the, the landscape the, uh, of vineyards and, and viticulture. Uh, so later on in life, I ended up in, in Oregon. And uh, I just came at a time, and, and it was in 76, uh, when uh, people had started the industry here. And I mean, I was curious about it and, and, and the climate. After living here for, for a year, I, I realized the climate was similar to areas in Germany where they were growing, mm-hmm. growing wine. I, I had lived uh, in, in Heidelberg uh, for a year before in Germany. and. Uh, that's right in the middle of uh, German uh, grape growing areas uh, along the Main River, not far from the Rhine. This whole area has, has you know, grapes forever. So I thought, oh, this climate is, is very similar and, uh, and people were going for it up north, you know, mostly. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it intrigued me and uh, I thought, wow, this might be something I want to do, you know. But then back in 76, I, you know, I, I was still undecided where I was going to, where my life was going. And uh, so I went back to Germany, 
stayed there for another year, and then I decided, well, Germany is not it. I go back to the U.S., you know, and then got stuck in Pennsylvania for a year, uh, you know, and, and finally made it out here again in 79. And then just started working as a, as, a, as a tree planter, you know. I was trained, actually, I went into business school and I was working as a computer analyst in, in Germany. And then when I, when I escaped from East Germany into West Germany, then I, you know, I was searching for something new. I worked several jobs and nothing really, really, uh, you know, that I liked a lot. And then when I came here, I didn't pick up the old trade either. I said, well, I go back to the land here. And uh, I met a bunch of hippies in the co-op and, uh, and they said, oh, come tree planting with us, you know. So I ended up being a tree planter for a few years uh, in, uh, in a co-op called Second Growth. And so I got to know the whole West Coast basically in, in, that, time, in that time frame because we were traveling you know, all over doing jobs. And at the same time, uh, I started saving some money and I thought, well, I got to look around and, 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 and see if I can find some land, you know, that and maybe that, that, that vineyard uh, possibility, that dream is, is possible. So, so I started looking and, uh, you know, I was Eugene based, so I knew a lot was happening up, uh, up in the McMinnville Dundee area, and uh, and I said, well, I you know the climate seems to be the same in the Willamette Valley, pretty much all uh, north from from Portland down to, to Eugene. So I started looking near Eugene, and and uh, after a year of searching, I came one day. I one day I came in here, and I looked back from the road. I looked up, and I saw this beautiful hillside and uh, back then it was all grass you know golden grass in the wind looked real cool uh, <laughs> and I said wow this is a nice spot and uh, a couple of weeks later I, I found out that it actually was listed for sale uh, so and I said wow this, this, this is nice I, I'll, I'll go for it you know so I, I ended up buying this place and then shortly thereafter started, uh, I had already started a nursery in Eugene. I had already cuttings uh, that I rooted and, and so I was ready to go, you know. So in 85, that was, I started to plant out here. And, uh, and yeah, and ever since I've been working on this place. So you started the vineyard first, and the winery part came later. That came quite a bit later, yeah, yeah. So when you were doing the vineyard, how did you go about establishing yourself as uh, establishing your business? Well, you know, I you, you start looking around in the neighborhood who's who else is doing it. You talk to the local wineries that were, uh, you know, there was a couple, three wineries existing. It was Hinman, mm -hmm. and there was what way back was called Forgeron. Mm -hmm. So you talk to those about the need for grapes, you know, if you could uh, just sell them the grapes uh, until you get established. And this was a very friendly group of people. You know, everybody was helpful and uh, it was really a, a camaraderie, you know. We had meetings and talking about our experiences and, uh, and uh, what, 
you know, what, what they learned, mm -hmm. passed it on, and so, and so on. So it was, it was pretty neat. And so the winery thing was, of course, you want to make wine, you know, that's, that's the ultimate, result, uh, uh, ultimate uh, goal. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you grow those grapes, you want to, you want to taste what, what wine they make. So you start on the site, you know, of course, the first grapes came and make wine in 88, 89, you know. And it's actually still pretty good. I have some bottles uh, still from back then, and, and every so often I, I crack one open, and it's still drinkable. So that's, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, so, the, so I, I planted the whole place, and then uh, phylloxera hit, so then you start over. Mm -hmm. You know, then all of a sudden, oh gosh, you know, we saw that never going to happen here. And that happened, and uh, I, well, I had rootstock. I, 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 I sort of was prepared. I knew that it was going to happen because, you know, no matter how careful people are, people bring stuff in. And mm -hmm. it, it, so by the time it started happening, I, I had rootstock and I started grafting myself. And, and started replanting. And that whole process took a long time, you know. And, uh, and then I got more serious about the idea of, uh, you know, making wine commercially and, 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 and starting a little winery. And that happened in 94. And uh, so in 94, I custom crushed uh, in Broadley, at Broadley's in Monroe. And in 95, we did the first crush here at the building. You know, it's like the waiting for the permit to come in. The grapes are ripening. <laughs> I hope this permit comes before the Because <laughs> it's a lot of paperwork, right, to get, sure. get all that. So, but it all worked out. Permits came in, so we started to have the first crush. A small production. And... Uh, and then started the whole process of getting the product out there, you know, in the market. And, and that's the part that became really frustrating really quick, you know, <laughs> because uh, it, it required uh, a lot of, basically it's another job, <laughs> you know, it's another job to go out there and, and uh, promote and, and all that. So I did that for a while, you know, then I took care of the vineyard or hired people to take care of the vineyard, managed the vineyard. Mm -hmm. uh, and started uh, making the wine, and then the next job was the marketing deal. And, and the marketing I really don't like, you know. I did it for a while, it was okay. But then it became, you know, it's just like, yeah, it was not my, my thing. I hear that a lot. <laughs> uh, and uh, so basically, you know, instead of uh, putting everything into extreme growth mode, you know, I said, well, I'll keep that winery on a small level and I still f I focus on growing grapes and, 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 and sell grapes and uh, produce a small amount of wine that I can sell locally and in the tasting room mm -hmm. and that's how it's been uh, lately. So, so when, you, when you were first starting out you had you had experience with growing things but yeah. you, did you have a specific experience with, with grapes and what, what was the learning curve like as you started to actually plant grapes in the ground? Well, I, you know, I, being, being German, I, I went back there, I bought every book I could find, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and just self-taught, basically, you know, studied whatever I could, and, and that was extremely helpful. And uh, 
So, and I, 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 I like to grow stuff, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. That's not a big deal, you know. It's, sure. It's just a little different, uh, different, different plant, different species, but overall, you know, you, you, I think that's in my DNA, growing things, so, <laughs> yeah. And you talked a little bit about uh, the other wineries in the area, Hinman and Forgeron and all uh, the others. Um, you said it was a friendly group. Were they people you went to for advice as well, or was it mostly business? Well, as I said, uh, you know, in the me meetings we had, uh, there was a lot of uh, there was a, a lot of exchanging going on of ideas, you know, and and what works, and and and, and that definitely was happening. You know. But a lot of, uh, but also a business connection. You know, I supplied Doyle with grapes. My first crops mm -hmm. all went down to Hinman. You know, and uh, and he was very supportive, trying to help the local guys here to establish the, you know, the viticulture end of 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 the wine business. Uh, sure. And uh, and then more more little wineries sprang up. Uh, Monroe uh, broadly, you know, came in, making uh, wanting to make serious Pinot, and uh, then Alpine was existing. I knew Dan, and uh, I knew him very well. I got material from him, you know, in the first years. I got cuttings from him. So yeah, there was a support group. Mm -hmm. What about the larger industry in the area at the time? Uh, well, there was a, you know, the, the ruling organization at the time was OWA, mm -hmm. and, and there were meetings, and there was a small group back then, too, mm -hmm. you know, there was a small group, I mean, there were the, you know, Eras and Ottersheim and uh, Ponzi and all those guys, mm -hmm. you know, met them there uh, at, at those meetings back then, and, and and that was that was that was good, really. I mean, this was really friendly. It changed later on, you know. Later on, um, a lot of money came in, and all of a sudden, the whole focus shifted, you know. But th those guys, those, very, those early guys, they were they were very nice, you know. I mean, they are still, mm -hmm. you know. So, uh, and uh, so there was a lot of OWA business going on, and I participated in most in a lot of those meetings and. Uh, you know, to get an idea of the bigger picture and the marketing strategies. Back then I was trying to get the, more, the wine out into the country, you know, marketing uh, strategies, where to go, what, you know. So we went to OWA, set up uh, tastings in New York City and Washington and LA and, mm -hmm. and, and, and then it changed and the Wine Advisory Board got formed. Mm -hmm. OWA still exists, but the whole dynamics changed. You know, it wasn't. It was not not anymore the group that you knew everybody. You know, all sure. of a sudden there were different interests coming in, and but I mean, you, you knew a good thing was happening. Uh, this was a growing industry, and 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 it has been, and it had has had some definite success. You know, we all know that. Sure. So when it comes to selling your grapes versus selling wine, have you found it easier to sell grapes to other producers than it is to sell wine to the consumer? 
Yeah, it's easier to, you know, to sell grapes because uh, you, you harvest them and they're gone. <laughs> and then you make wine, especially red wine, you know, to process before you even can start putting it on the market is another year and a half, you know, basically. And, and then it doesn't sell at once, you know, then you've got to gradually move it uh, one case or one bottle at a time. So if I sell 50 tons to somebody, you know, that is uh, a lot, a lot uh, smoother. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's what I do. And, uh, you know, I figure those wineries that are out there that have uh, big budgets and big marketing uh, uh, money, you know, let them do the marketing <laughs> nationwide, you know, the King Estates, mm -hmm. the Willamette Valley, mm -hmm. uh, Argyle, and, 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 and do not, you know, so. And, you know, I, they know I can produce a good product. I mean, I have long-term contracts with a lot of those folks. And uh, so that's what you need to know. You need to grow quality fruit. And then you wouldn't have a problem, uh, you know, selling it. Sure. And, uh, and be happy. <laughs> Happier. <laughs> so is, that the, is the, the grape growing, is that the part of the process you enjoy the most? Yeah, I enjoy the part of being here, you know, <laughs> living in the land mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, going through the season, all the different things when there's a lot of, a lot of very busy to very kickback uh, <laughs> periods, you know, and so that's enjoyable. And then I can, uh, you know, do other things and grow other things or, or, or do hobbies, you know, so. <laughs> And you manage multiple vineyards, is that right? Over the years, I've got uh, additional vineyards. I bought additional land, and uh, and I lease vineyards that I manage and that I uh, uh, harvest the fruit and sell or use uh, some of it for my own uh, own operation here. So, can you tell us about uh, Prairie Mountain Wineries and some of the costs and benefits of being in that group? Uh, well, you know, uh, my German background always uh, uh, taught me, you know, that the wines all were classified by, by AVAs, you know, uh, viticultural areas, you know, and uh, you got the, the broad viticultural areas and then you got the sub-AVAs and, and this is, is a marketing scheme, you know, that's all over Europe is, you know, there's a, the Rhine, the Mosul, you know, and all those different, or, or Burgundy or Bordeaux and uh, Loire, different areas that, that all specifically AVAs, you know, and, and, uh, and we had this, this, this big AVA of the Lamet Valley here, and uh, it was only a matter of time before, uh, you know, people started to pick up uh, this system, this European system of, of you know, establishing sub ABAs and, and and promoting their specific area with you know that that produces a distinct mm -hmm. distinct wine and and use that as a marketing tool and here in the South Willamette Valley we, we always were uh, operating and marketing as a group South Willamette winery uh, South Willamette Valley wineries but that's a very diverse group. Mm -hmm. It is like, you know, it goes from Cottage Grove 
up to Monroe and uh, and different approaches, different ideas, and and also different uh, you know soils and different little microclimates and mm -hmm. stuff. And uh, so for a while we were trying to do a marketing. Uh, marketing through that group but it seemed like you know we couldn't find the common denominator uh, what defined us as a group you know because of, of all those different uh, uh, different directions that people individuals went you know some people were just buying fruit fruit from Roque and somewhere and then have a little, little uh, hole in the wall winery here and uh, but they want to be part of this group, you know, and it didn't really have to do anything with the land itself, you know. And and my belief always was, you know, that the land itself is is a main factor for for what 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 the resulting wine will be. So the group that that that, that just lives in the uh, produces grapes in the in the immediate neighborhood here, you know, we we finally figured out that. Uh, you know, we should we should get together and we should uh, form our own little group to to market the distinct uh, qualities that that we produce here. And so th that that happened a couple of years ago. You know, first we had some talking talking about forming an AVA, and then and, and then those talks ended up being. Uh, not very productive because it was not again about the land it was about who was there at the meeting and i and i know somebody there who went in and i said this is not how it goes you know if you want to do something like that you got to look at really a, a geographical feature and stick with that so anyway we came up with a common denominator was that we all lived in the rain shadow of this mountain called uh Berry, Berry mountain and uh and six wineries uh, we formed that group and basically for marketing purposes, making for little uh, wine tours, you mm -hmm. know, because we are within, uh, you know, 15 minute, uh, 20 minute radius mm -hmm. here, starting at Benton Lane and going down to Bennett on, the, on Highway 36. Uh, so that seemed to be logical and uh, it has worked out pretty good so far. And now we're, you know, discussing uh, whether we should go further. And, and, and try the, the AVA, uh, sub-AVA process. So we just had a meeting yesterday and um, we're discussing uh, those things. You know, Pfeiffer and Walnut Ridge and Brigadoon and Lane Bennett. When you talk about your geographical and microclimate, what do you talk about, how do you describe this winery or the wineries in that group? Well, just climatically, uh, uh, micro, uh, as far as microclimate is concerned, you know that 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 range shadow of that mountain, that that prairie mountain, you know, uh, gives us a little warmer microclimate. Uh, you know, we have uh, sites that ripen a little earlier than uh, a lot of the Lamette Valley sites, and even a lot of the Dundee. Uh, on the hillsides, you know, so that that is one factor that that uh, sets us apart. Then, uh, then the soil is different here. We use we mostly uh, grow grapes on Belpine soil, 
uh, that's the, you know, the predominant soil in those hillsides here, uh, which is not quite as deep as Jory, which is often mm -hmm. the Lacanzian Jory are used up there. And, uh, and uh, so, so we experience a little more stress here because of the shallower profile, you know, which I think gives it, uh, adds to the difference, you know, the, mm -hmm. the character of the wine. So, I mean, those are things I, I would broadly, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. see. Does that change anything about what you choose to grow or, or how you choose to grow it here, the, the warm especially? Uh, well, we all, we all, I mean, Pinot Noir is, is our mainstay and we do that, you know, and uh, uh, I think important factor is the, uh, your choices of rootstock, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and we all use all the clones that are out there. You, everybody has their favorite clone. And so everybody, ha you know, there's all the clones that are available are here. Uh, it, I think just, uh, just the rootstock to manage vigor, for instance, you know, mm -hmm is important and uh, and then you know over the years the, the whole approach and spacing and stuff has changed uh, mm -hmm. also you know in the beginning people were go in California style and and, and and that has all changed into coming more together more tighter spacing uh, you know mm -hmm. less uh, crop per vine and and so on you know and that's also another thing is the course managed the crop level uh, but lately opinions changing again you know uh, it used to be you had to have two tons to the acre or your grapes were bad you know <laughs> and now they say well you can't just do that that's generally speaking you know in a really good year with really good weather you know even a, a larger crop will do fine you know mm -hmm. so it's still there's still uh, evolution going on, people learning and, and uh, starting new approaches, you know. New varieties, there's nothing really new that uh, uh, I think everybody has a little hobby, you know, a little, <laughs> a little uh, specialty. I grow some German varietals that are nobody else has uh, that I brought here actually and, uh, and they make like, you know, German Spätle is a, a kind of uh, wines, you know, really sweet, but really uh, fruitful, really mm -hmm. lots of concentrated flavors. So, so that's what my little little line of uh, specialty <laughs> is. You know, other people try, uh, you know, Viognier or, or something, you know. But uh, yeah, that's just, you know, in the tasting room, you want to have some a little different. Sure. So you're talking about sort of the, the shifting opinion and how it's changed over the years in terms of you know row widths and and, uh, and and tonnage and things like that. How do you how do you personally like decide who to listen to or or is it all basically your own experience or do you listen to the general consensus? Well, I going back to how I picked up viticulture, you know, with all those uh, German books that I got. <laughs> you know, I figured those people have done it for hundreds of years. You know, they know something. So that's what my basic, uh, basic approach comes mm -hmm. from, you know. Mm -hmm. And as far as crop level is concerned, you know, I never was a believer that uh, you had to crop it down, you know. 
there's always uh, other factors that you can use how to determine how much crop you can produce you know for instance you people weigh the pruning you know use the pruning weight mm -hmm. uh, to determine how how much load you can put on a grapevine you know and still ripen it you know so it's how, how and then the other thing is you know how much canopy you provide for your wine I mean the the sugar that's produced, the flavors that are produced, they're produced through, you know, photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. And so a very important factor is that you give a lot of light to those leaves, you know. Mm -hmm. So shoot positioning, uh, tall canopy, those are things that I, that I look for, you know, in managing a vineyard to, to get the results that I want. And you're still, I assume, learning and changing your methods as you go? Yeah, the methods, method, methods change all the time, you know, a lot of it has to do with uh, labor too. Um, this is the first year I used uh, uh, a subcontractor to do machine hedging, you know, or and I'm going to use uh, some machine uh, to de-leaf mm -hmm. the fruit zone. I've never done that before, but it's just a, a matter of uh, economics and, and, and labor availability. Mm -hmm. uh, and. I guess the, the, the machinery is, has improved significantly too to do a decent job on, on, those, on those applications. Do you think, we, we've heard this before, do you think that's where the industry is going to have to go in the future with the, uh, with the shortage of labor? Well, if Donald builds his wall. <laughs> no, I, but uh, yeah, you know, short, I mean, we can't, uh, you know, deny the fact that uh, the labor is uh, is Latin American, is Mexican, you know, mm -hmm. in, in this industry, as it is in, uh, in most agriculture, you know, and uh, I mean, if, uh, and the young generation, you know, they're not necessarily following in the footsteps of their parents either, mm -hmm. you know, that, and it's just normal, that's to be expected, you know, they go to school, they go to college, they, you know, they want different jobs, you know, and uh, so I don't know where it's going, you know. Right now I have a crew that has been working for me for a long time and, and you know, we got a good relationship and, and everything is good, but you never know, mm -hmm. you know. So, but mechanization, you know, is something you have to consider to, to stay on top. Sure. So going back a little bit, when you were uh, selling your wine, especially in the, in the early days, uh, as you were trying to market, what was what were some of the reactions you got to your wine specifically, or to Oregon wine in general, as you were outside the Northwest, especially? It dep it, it totally depends on the market, you know. Uh, you know, you go to New York City and you just meet a bunch of wine snobs, you know, and they say. Uh, where Oregon, you know, very, this may have changed too, I think it has. I mean, I'm talking uh, turn of century, you know, late mm -hmm. 90s, early 20th century, 2002, mm -hmm. maybe. Uh, very tough and very, very, very snooty people, you know. Then you go down to, to, to Washington, D.C., 
and very open people, you know, very open and friendly and, ex uh, you know, experimenting and, and, and you know, giving you feedback and, 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 and it's totally different. You know, the same with, with going to Los Angeles or San Francisco, it's the same thing, you know, San Francisco is a, is a more open place, you know, where, where you get feedback and people appreciate new, new, new stuff, you know, even though they live in basically in the middle of a grape growing, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, surrounded by sure. famous uh, grape growing areas. And Los Angeles is just difficult, you know, it's just very uh, <laughs> uh, snooty. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in San Francisco especially, uh, did you find did you find it was hard to compete with Napa and Sonoma wines, or did you find people were looking for? Something? No, they were. Well, it has changed too now because, uh, you know, back then the word was uh, California cannot grow any good Pinot, mm -hmm. and uh, and then Oregon and, and they and, and in San Francisco they were into Pinot, so Oregon did fill that void, mm -hmm. you know, because we had the good Pinot, and they were loving it. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the Californians uh, have changed their approach to growing Pinot. You know, gone into the, in the cooler sites and uh, and harvested uh, harvested earlier. You know, don't don't get the sugars up to 26 bricks, <laughs> and and so, you know, they caught on to the to the to the Pinot graze and uh, and and. Uh, but uh, but then again, I'm not out there anymore. Uh, sure. Really listening to people right now, what they're saying. Sure. I'm just what I can see from publications and stuff. Sure. That uh, there's a there's a lot of California Pinot now, you know, and and highly rated too. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned a little bit of this, bef but but I'd love some more detail on sort of what are the biggest changes you've seen in the Oregon industry since you've become a part of it. Oh. Uh, well, naturally, because of the growth, you know, there's uh, you operate more on a on a professional level instead of on a personal level. You know, mm -hmm. it is just uh, it is an industry. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's that's a change. You know, I see, and. Uh, I mean, for Oregon itself, it's positive, you know, the growth has been positive. I mean, I think, you know, those, those hillsides are just begging for, for grapevines, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, and the, the potential is not even reached, it's not even close to be reached, you know. I mean, Joe Dobbs, uh, he, he kept on saying, the best wines are, 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 haven't been made yet, you know, because, uh, there's still so much uh, land out there that's basically untouched, you know, I mean, especially down here. Mm -hmm. It's filling in up there in, 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 your, in your neck of the woods there, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, uh, I, saw it, I saw it from 8,000 8, acres go to, I don't know what it is now, 40,000, 50,000 acres, you Many. know. <laughs> and this is still... Nothing by world standards of grape growing regions is not not a big area, not a big region. Right. So so I think, you know but but and the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of wine in this world, you know. You go to a supermarket and you look at the shelves and you say, Who's drinking all this wine? You know. <laughs> 'Cause there's like yeah, how many bottles are there at Fred Myers or, or you know, mm -hmm. it's unbelievable. So 
that's a, that's the main thing is to teach the American public to drink more wine, you know, <laughs> instead of Budweiser, you know. I mean, this has happened too, you know. But again, uh, this is still a lot of uh, a lot of possibility to to gain some ground. Mm -hmm. So where do you think Oregon will be in the next 10, 20, 30 years? Uh, well, I think it's steady growth. Mm -hmm. I, I believe in that, uh, you know, because, because uh, I mean, the, the only thing that I think is, uh, is counterproductive is, uh, you know, everybody says they want to make a, a Pinot Noir that costs 60 bucks a, a bottle. You know, I think that's counterproductive. Uh, because then you kind of, you know, how, how do you want people to, um, to, to drink more wine at that level, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so you're catering to a certain group of people that have that income to, to, to spend, you know? If you wanted to grow, broaden the, the appeal of wine, you know, you definitely have to uh, get, get wine out there of, of a high quality that, uh, that is not as expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I believe in that. And, uh, but but uh, the potential is huge here, and I think it'll you know people will will take advantage of that, and uh, the growth will you know I think it'll be steady growth. I don't know where it's going to top out, but uh, there's a lot of headroom still. It's true. Do you think the growth will happen as it's been happening, or do you think it's going to be a lot of outside money, California, France money? Well, that's already happening. There's a lot of, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, um, big players coming in, uh, you know, getting a piece of Oregon Pinot, Kendall Jackson, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, other groups, you know, trying to, to get uh, California people taking the Oregon grapes and marketing them mm -hmm. under their labels, you know. and. Uh, well, money is the driving force, you know. Capital is the driving force to, because it is still, uh, it's, a, it's it's quite an investment. Mm -hmm. You know, a vineyard, uh, you know, an acre to establish costs between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars. You know, that's a, you know, it's a bit of money. Mm -hmm. If you if you grow hay, you know, you've done too much. You know, but mm -hmm. but again, uh, you know, that yield potential is accordingly higher too in the long run. Uh, so there, there will be, you know, and there has been a lot of capital coming in. There's a lot of people that came in and 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 spent big bucks to buy buy land, and 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 you know, a lot of people that just love to own a vineyard. Mm -hmm. You know, they're mm -hmm. not necessarily out there, but sure. Uh, but that's more on a smaller level, right? On an individual level, somebody who stream it was to own mm -hmm. twenty acre vineyard and. Uh, but I also see that uh, big players are going to become more uh, of a factor. Do you think there's still a, still room in the industry for a small family or a single person to come in and start <coughs> organically the way this was? I don't know. There's 700 wineries in Oregon. You know, that's a lot of wineries. It's true. Yeah, you know, and everybody everybody thinks they have the best Pinot on earth, and. Uh, <laughs> And everybody wants to have a tasting room and, and wants to try to make a living on that. So it's, I don't know, that's sustainable, you know. Uh, uh, how much tourists can you get on a weekend, you know? So what advice would you give to a, an aspiring vintner? 
Oh, if you, you know, if you love it, do it, you know. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't want to give up on a, on a dream, you know, if you want to go out and, 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 and I think, sure, it's rewarding. Uh, where do you see High Pass itself <clears throat> going in the future? Do you have any goals for it? Uh, yeah, well, I would like to see my daughters involved in it more, you know, but I don't see that at the moment, you know, they're still in the UH uh, yeah, and going to college, but not nothing to do with, uh, with <laughs> wine or viticulture, you know, and uh, so, but that may change, you know, because um, things change in life and, and, and focus changes and, and, and if, if young people mature, they see things different and, and maybe they come around. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one thing. And, uh, but I, yeah, I'm gung-ho too, you know, as far as uh, putting in more acreage. I mean, I bought a, I bought a place a few years ago uh, that, that is a couple of miles from here that I planted, you know, and it's a beautiful place and it makes beautiful grapes. And then the neighboring, uh, piece of property is for sale and I told my friends to buy it I'll, I'll put the vineyard in for them so I'm you know I'm in the growth growth mode uh, uh, as, as much as, as uh, but I should retire you know I should retire I should just but on the other hand why should I sit sit around all day you know so it's uh, as long as I can move around I'll move around do you have any anything thing you'd like to try different? Any new varieties you'd like to try to grow or new styles you'd like to try? Well, I would probably put uh, I, 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 a variety I like to play with is uh, Pinot Blanc. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to, I don't have any Pinot Blanc right now and I think I will, uh, I will plant some. Mm -hmm. I've always uh, liked Sauvignon Blanc and I have some Sauvignon Blanc and I will probably plant some more of it because I, I just, it's just such an aromatic, flavorful wine, you know, and, and it goes so good with food, you know, with seafood and, mm -hmm. and, and pasta and stuff. So it's that, that one, that one I, will, I will keep on going. And, uh, you know, those would be the two I'm interested in. It makes me think of another question. Um, how have you seen the change in the sort of wine knowledge of the general public in the last few decades? Oh, yeah, people are more knowledgeable about what's going on, you know, uh, definitely. S sometimes it's over the top, you know, uh, people asking about the clones, you know, mm -hmm. or oh, what clone is this, or... <laughs> Does it make a difference? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, okay, you know, you can chat about it, and it's 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 it's, it's good uh, good talk, you sure. know. Uh, so, but I mean, but uh, the fact that people know about clones, you know, shows you there is more knowledge out there, and, and people following what's going on, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and 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 people knowing about uh, you know temperature sums and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and asking questions, you know, and rootstocks. So, okay. Mm -hmm. And also the the knowledge, uh, you know, of what what a, what a good Pinot to, to differentiate, you know, to, to to taste taste the wine and say, oh, this is, you know, or, or, or describing it, even mm -hmm. describing it, you know, fruity, dif different fruits or the tannins or, or or the acidity, you know, giving you 
So I think that has uh, significantly grown in, in as long as I've been around, you know. Mm. Yeah. In the old days, people came and bought a bottle and drank out of the bottle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what about, personally, what's your, uh, do you have a favorite, a favorite variety to drink or a favorite to grow? I like them all. Too, so, you know, I like uh, Pinot Noir, I like a lot, and uh, uh, I, I, I like a rosé, you know, from Pinot Noir for, for, for now, for the summer. Beautiful mm -hmm. wine, just uh, not too heavy, you know. And I like Sauvignon Blanc, as I said. Uh, Pinot Gris, you know, it was, just, was this Pinot Gris wave going on? Mm -hmm. Everybody planted some, everybody had to have some. It's okay, you know, it's okay. And uh, Riesling I like because I'm German, mm -hmm. I have to like it. <laughs> <laughs> and it can make really good wine too, so it's not just uh, uh, because I'm German. And, uh, <clears throat> and those late harvest ones, they're good to, you know, to zip mm -hmm. for dessert. Mm -hmm. Really concentrated and sweet. Mm -hmm. All the questions I have. Does anybody back here have any questions they'd like to ask? Anything you'd like to add? Anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything else you'd like to mention? No, it's a. I would encourage people to do it. It's a beautiful lifestyle to live on a vineyard and be surrounded by all this greenery. And at the end of the year, have something to cherish and to savor. Yeah, it certainly is amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Well, Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.